We'll be in Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise, I ask. When will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The reading of the word of God. You may be seated. grateful that Guga and your elders have asked me to speak to you this morning. It's an honor to be here. I bring you greetings from Gospel Fellowship Community Church. We celebrated our 19th anniversary as a church the first Sunday in October, and we're praising God for that. We're grateful for his kindness and mercy in allowing us to meet these 19 years, except for a short time where we had to meet in homes for other reasons. Our numbers are a bit smaller. We've had, I think, three families just leave the state of Oregon. Nothing wrong with the church. They just had to get out of Dodge. And so we've had some families depart and go elsewhere. And they're having fruitful ministry. One of our families, been a homeschool family their whole life. She's on the school board in her county in Virginia. The only homeschool mom on the school board. And she's trying to be a witness and a testimony in Virginia for the gospel. And God is blessing them, even in their leaving us. Um, Last Sunday in our church service, we just had to stop right in the middle of the worship set and just ask the Lord to to pray. There's so many needs right now within the body, just so many, so many hurts, so many sorrows, so many difficulties, just people just living in hard places. And we just felt led to just stop and pray. And so rather than just a pastoral prayer, I just looked at somebody and I said, you know this person, would you come up front and you'll pray for them? And you know this person, would you come up front and pray for them and just let the Holy Spirit just lead? And it was a marvelous time of prayer, but um, the, uh, we're dealing with very real hurts uh, within many churches right now. And uh, maybe yours is included in that. And maybe this passage today will help us as we look to waiting in urgent hope. Tonight, today I'd like to direct your attention to one stanza of Psalm 119. By way of reminder, we don't really know who wrote Psalm 119. Many suspect it was David, but we don't know for sure who wrote it. You know it's the longest psalm of all the psalms in your daily Bible reading. When you get to the psalm of the day and you get to Psalm 119, you're going to be there for a while right? You're going to be there for a little bit. It's also the longest chapter in the Bible. It's longer than many of Paul's letters, just this one psalm. There's 22 stanzas in the psalm, and each one of those stanzas represent one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then within each one of those verses of the stanza, 
the first word of that verse in that stanza corresponds to the Hebrew letter that's, that's at the head of the, your Bible reading as you see there and look in your Bibles and you'll see that. It, it's amazing how it was written and recorded. It doesn't have quite the same flow in our English Bibles as it does in the Hebrew Bible, because, but I can't imagine sitting down and going, A is for adore. Adoration is commendable. Uh, I'm, I can't even think of a third A. And the person thought of eight of them for each, each stanza. He thought of A, B, C. Just amazing. To, I'm not much of a poet, and some of you might be, but to be able to do that is just amazing and then have it recorded for us. Seeing, um, well, let's look at our outline first. We're going to have it in three parts this morning. First, waiting in hope. Waiting in hope. Verses 81 through 83. Waiting in hope. Verses 84 through 87, we see the, the writer of this psalm wilting under attack. Wilting under attack. And then finally in verse 88, resting in steadfast love. So understanding and applying the word of God is critical to withstanding the difficulties and hardships of life that will come your way. It just is. Understanding and applying the Word of God is critical to withstanding the difficulties and hardships of this life that will come your way. Seeing all of life, both the good and the difficult, through the lens of Scripture is so important to navigate the path that God has for you and I. And His plan is not haphazard or random. Pastor and author Paul David Tripp says it so well. I was reading him earlier. This is what he says. If you're God's child, your life is never, ever out of control. It's not spinning wildly in who knows what direction with no intelligent administration. It's not controlled by the hopeless inertia of impersonal determination or abstract luck. Yes, vast pieces of your existence are out of your control, beyond your power to alter, but you must not conclude that your life is out of control. His story is unstoppable. His rule is benevolent. There is grand and gracious control over every aspect of your life. And you think back to your week and you say, yes and amen, or I believe that, but it's hard. It's difficult. This last week has been hard. That's truth. I, I, that resonates with me. But reading that quote brings comfort to me, and I hope it does to you also. And it leads us right into our text this morning. Waiting in hope. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Verse 81, we see that times are difficult for the psalmist. We don't, we don't know the nature of the problem. We don't, 
really know the situation that he needed rescue from, but, and as we're going to see in verses 84 through 87, the difficulties seem to be from without, from outside, not from within. We do know, though, according to these verses, that he is longing for salvation, for God's rescue plan. Perhaps he's been waiting a long time, or maybe it's just one hardship on top of another. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Layer upon layer of pain, frustration, trial. We do know, according to these verses, that it's affecting him very deeply. And we don't really need to know the problem, or else it would have been recorded for us, right? We don't need to know. We do know that according to verse 81, he is longing for, or he's looking for, he's waiting for, he's anticipating God's rescue. It's going to come. He knows it's going to come. He knows God's rescue is coming. God has been faithful in the past. He, he goes back to the Torah and he's rehearsing in his mind rescue from, Israel, from Egypt and all of that. And he knows that God is faithful and God is going to care for him and his people. He has in the past. He's going to be faithful again. And if you look back a couple verses in 76 to 77, God's steadfast love and mercy comes to him so that he can live. He's been rehearsing that as he's been going through the psalm. But while he's waiting, he's hoping and has placed his hope in God's word. I read that and I think, is there something that you're praying for specifically? Something that you're hoping for? Something that you're crying out to the Lord for? The psalmist has been in a similar situation as we read these verses, and he knows that his hope is anchored in the Word of God. He says, I hope in your Word, in verse 81, the last part. But sometimes hoping in God's Word seems so intangible. I don't know if you feel that way. Sometimes they say, just hope in God's Word. Just, just do it. Oh, it seems so intangible sometimes. I really want to see the answer. I, w I want to know when the waiting time is going to be over. I, I want relief sooner rather than later, and probably you do too. That's where the discipline of meditating on God's Word becomes so important. But what is biblical meditation? We hear people talk about meditation, but what is biblical meditation? Many godly saints have written about um, meditation and biblical meditation, none better than Jerry Bridges. How many of you are familiar with the name Jerry Bridges? Some of you are. Very good. Any book you see in a used bookstore that has Jerry Bridges' name on it, just buy it. It's worth it. I'll just tell you, there's not a book that he's written that's not worth buying and chewing on and reading and meditating on. Here's what he says about meditation. The word meditate as used in the Old Testament, it literally means to murmur or to mutter and, by implication, to talk to oneself. When we meditate on the scriptures, we talk to ourselves about them. Turning over in our minds the meanings, the implications, and the application to our lives. That's biblical meditation. We take the Word of God and we murmur, we think about it, we meditate on it, we mull it over in our minds. It, it comes back to our minds throughout the day. That's biblical meditation. Now in verse 82, he expands and he amplifies the idea in verse 81. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Now his eyes are longing for God's promise of rescue. 
He says, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to stand on your promises. I know you're a covenant-keeping God. I know that you love me. I know that you're faithful and you're merciful, but the rescue hasn't come. So his eyes long for. I don't know about some of you, but this fall was soccer season for our grandkids, and uh, which is really a reunion time for the grandparents of the soccer kids. We get together and we, old veteran homeschool moms and dads, we get together and occasionally we look up when our kids score a goal, but we're just kind of catching up and what's going on. And we're out there at the Milano airport between Milano and Malala and there's a plane that takes off if it's a clear day like it would today. The plane that's having, it just groans as it takes off. It's, it's carrying eight to 10 um, skydivers and it it groans to take off and we kind of have a contest with the grandsons that aren't playing soccer to try to spot the plane where is it where's the plane where's it because once we spot the plane we know that in just a few minutes six or eight skydivers are going to pop out we're going to see the parachutes open and we'll watch them come down we're longing to try to see it and my i'll have to say my grandsons have better eyes than i do and they usually see it before i do we can hear it and we're watching and we're longing for it and we're waiting for those skydivers to come out so we can see them. That's the idea here. He's longing for the word of God. He's, he's, I know God's promise of rescue is coming. He says, I'm, I'm straining to look out ahead and see where it's going to be. That's that look of anticipation. And when the rescue does come, the verse says, comfort. He gets comfort when rescue comes. There's no comfort like the comfort of the Lord. Often tangibly expressed through other people. Haven't you found that to be the case? When God's comfort comes, it's, it's sometimes very personal for you and you get that peace in your own heart, but often it comes through one of you to somebody else in the body. That's where the comfort comes from. Then in verse 83, the psalmist illustrates his current situation. He says, For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. Okay, like a wineskin in smoke. But what's that mean? I mean, I've read this a lot of times. What? That threw me for a loop. I'm, I get what a wineskin is. You, you do too. It's like, but like a wineskin in smoke. I don't have a lot of wineskins hanging around the fire pit at our house. And so I've never actually owned one, actually. But at first I thought, okay, I wonder if it could mean that he can't see the wineskin through the smoke of the fire. And it's kind of, it's a fog for him. And that's blocking his view of what God's doing. Maybe, maybe that, no, that's a, bad, that's a bad interpretation of a cultural illustration that the psalmist is trying to make. Wineskins, as you know, were made from whole animal hides that carry liquid like wine and water and other things. When a wineskin gets exposed to smoke, it dries out. It cracks, it stiffens, making it useless. So the psalmist is says, this affliction I'm going through is debilitating. It's, it's, it's wrecking me. He's given an illustration that the original re- reader would have just understood exactly what he's talking about. In his waiting for God to act, in his waiting for the comfort that's going to come, he's become shriveled up and dried out. That's, that's the picture we have. It's a picture of misery. I, I'm miserable. Not only was his patience and hope being tested, but his very body was being tested. Long-term affliction and pain um, sometimes can do that to a person. We've all known people that have long-term pain and affliction, and and it, it affects them. It can affect us physically. 
But two things can happen at once for you and I, can't it? The body can wither and grow weary physically and emotionally, but the soul can be strengthened. Some of you are, are dealing with chronic pain or you know people that deal with chronic pain and they understand this. Paul said three times, I want this thorn to be removed from me. Just, if it could just go away and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. So we don't always get removal from the chronic pain or the long-term illness or the long-term difficulty that we're dealing with. But he's being very honest here in this illustration where he's saying, I feel like I'm going to crack. Like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fold. This is, this is too hard. I need your comfort. Another Bridges, Charles Bridges, says this about being caught and staying in that place of affliction, a hardship over a long period of time. He says, your determined resolve to pine away or to stay in that affliction, to pine away in affliction rather than make a way of escape by sin is the proof of the reality of his own grace in you and of his faithful love toward you. That's what a marvelous thing that is. When you stay in that place and say, God, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm going to stay here. It, it's where you have me. I've got others around me that are encouraging me. There's people bringing comfort to me here, but I'm not getting escape. It's not, it's not ending. The affliction isn't ending. Help, Lord. He says, and rather than escape to sin, as some people do to escape pain and, and, and hurt and emotional and physical hurt, they escape to pain and sin, he says, it's actually a proof of the reality of the grace of God that you just hang in there and God is going to sustain you. So in addition to waiting and hope, now he describes the nature of the attack, which brings us to our second point, where he is wilting under attack. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. He now is going to take four verses and he's going to explain or describe what it looks like for him to be under attack. In these verses, we see similarities to how attacks can come to each one of us. You can, we see ourselves in these verses often. So he begins in verse 84. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? When are you going to get them? That's what he's saying. But he begins with, how long? When's it going to end? This is hard. God, God doesn't have a problem with you saying, this is hard, this is difficult. I don't know why I'm still here. This, he wants to hear those things from you. He begins by reminding God in prayer who he is. He says, this is hard, but I'm your servant. I'm your servant. I'm your child. He says, what, he, what, he, what he's doing is speaking the truth to God in prayer. This is a prayer. I'm your servant. I'm just reminding you, God, that I'm your servant, that I'm one of yours. Meditation often takes us back to the reality of who we are in Christ. When we stop and we meditate on the Word of God, it takes us back to who we are in Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm meditating on your Word. I'm your child. I'm loved by you. 
I'm protected, I'm cared for, I'm adopted, I'm part of a family, I'm forgiven, all those things. As we meditate, we're reminding ourselves what a servant of God is and who we are in Christ. But he, is, he also says, I'm a persecuted servant of God. God, you promised to judge the wicked, those who persecute, but when, when are you going to do it? When are you going to judge the people who are coming against me? Then in verse 85, he, he begins to describe what these people that are coming against him are like. He says, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. The New Living Translation calls insolent arrogant people. These arrogant people are out to get me. They have dug pits for me. His enemies have more, more metaf metaphorically dug deep pits to trap him, to harass him. And they do it because they hate God's servant. They hate what he stands for. They hate what he believes in. Sound familiar? Those who don't share or believe our worldview, in the end, hate us. They hate us. God's principles for right living, they don't like those. Truth is ignored by them. Randy Alcorn describes these people who make up truth contrary to God's word. Here's what he says. You and I can discover truth, but we cannot create it. What's true is true, and what's not is not. For all of us, that's everybody, all the time. Our culture views truth as something inside us, subject to revision according to our growth and our enlightenment. Scripture views truth as something outside us, which we can believe or not, but can never sway. God's truth is true all the time, for all time, until he comes back and beyond. At street level, the arrogant, the insolent think that they can create truth. They really do. Truth can be discovered for each person by what's inside of them. Something each person can discover for themselves. My truth, we hear that often, my truth. You hear the phrase, follow your heart. It's one of the worst pieces of advice you can give to somebody. Just take that out of your counseling vocabulary. Because based on Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we really don't know our, our thoughts and our feelings. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit does bring impressions or convictions upon our heart. But when the world says, follow your heart, they're saying, lead with your feelings. Lead with your feelings. What you feel and think is more important than the truth of God's word. And that's a dangerous place to go. It's one of those phrases that people throw around sometimes that is not helpful. Now in verse 86, he brings in once again the contrast between truth and the lies. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. Help me. All that God says and commands is sure. It's right. It's trustworthy. It's faithful. God's commands can be trusted. I have to believe that and I have to remind myself of that because my enemies, the world system, the people out there are saying they're persecuting me with falsehood. They're saying lies. I'm being wrongfully persecuted. I'm being lied to and I'm being lied about. You see this on social media all the time. 
what people say to and about each other they would probably never say in person lies are told and never corrected when proven wrong narratives are being constructed to get a desired outcome the psalmist says I just need to pray that you would protect me from these lies are you ever placed in a position where the only prayer that you can mutter is help Lord help help Lord that's actually a really good prayer that's a really really good prayer because it speaks of surrender of helplessness of just totally I can't but you can type of an attitude just like help help Lord a couple of weeks ago I was doing a puzzle with one of my grandsons he's graduated from the wooden puzzles where the shape goes in the, the you know just with a little knob on it and put, so he's now to the very beginnings of putting pieces together he started to work on this one and he said pretty quickly help me grandpa of course I will help you absolutely I'd be happy to help you let's work on it together let's put those two pieces together and he was able to do it and then after a few minutes he was able to do a couple more pieces but I was just reminded of his quick help me that's that's the way we should be with the Lord just help me I, I can't get this and this is a relatively simple thing but sometimes we delay in asking for the Lord's help help me his prayer continues in verse 87 they've almost made an end of me on earth but I have not forsaken your precepts how bad had it gotten they almost made an end of me New International Version if you have that they almost wiped me from the earth <laughs> New Living they almost finished me off I mean that no doubt there they almost killed him that's how desperate it was that's how desperate his situation was he says I was running for my life and they almost caught up to me and killed me but I have not forgotten your precepts perhaps here even the evil one the enemy was trying to get him to forsake God's precepts to abandon the faith and believe the lies of the world no matter how bad it's gotten he says I refuse to abandon your commandments and I'm going to cling to your word sometimes you, you're going to be in a position of counsel or comfort to somebody when you just have to say I know how bad it seems but don't abandon the Word of God don't abandon can I just interject here too what a great place to remind each other of the goodness of God when somebody's in that position to remind each other of the goodness of God the world wants to have you abandon your beliefs and join their lies and and to which they call truth they want you to join in what they're doing no better time to practice the one another passages than when somebody's in in that place we find ourselves at the end of ourselves we're we're in despair perhaps even too weary to read and meditate on God's Word I don't know if you've ever been there I had a short season of my life where it was I could not even read the Word of God somebody just had to read it over me I just just read me scriptures and I'll just be quiet and you just read 
You know, what a ministry that is to, to practice those one another passages together as you know each other in the lives of what you're all going through and what's happening, what's happening in your family and your extended family. That's when you and I need each other the most. We speak the word of God to each other. We pray over each other. We put an arm around each other. We're present physically and in prayer. And sometimes we're present just with our physical presence. As a chaplain for the police department a while back, I learned that they call it a ministry of presence. When you walk into a home of, of somebody you don't know and there's a, just an extreme crisis that has happened, perhaps an untimely death or a suicide or something like that, they really don't want your words. They just want you to sit with them. And when they ask for something, they'll ask, but mainly, mainly just a ministry of presence, just being there is a comfort. And you'll all be in that place if you haven't already. You'll be in that place where you just be a ministry of comfort to somebody. When we do that, and when somebody comes alongside of us, we're much less tempted to forget God's precepts because it's being worked out right in front of us, to us, you to somebody else. A brother in our church back in Gladstone has been in the hospital this week with complications from COVID. No visitors. Wife couldn't go in and visit him. Nobody can visit. I, I put on my best pastor clothes and my biggest black Bible and walked to the hospital and gave my business card and said, yes, I'm Pastor Steve. I would like to visit one of my parishioners. His name is Sean. The gentleman was called up and looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, absolutely, no visitors, no visitors. All we could do for a whole week for our brother was just pray for him at a distance and pray for his wife, bring a few meals, sit beside her. We couldn't get in the hospital to, to be with him for that, that ministry of comfort with him. We just pray and I, I was able to call him and I said, do you need anything? He said, just pray for me. Just pray for me. That's all he said. Just pray for me. So we prayed. That's as close as we could get. Good Lord willing, his wife is picking him up right now during church service and he's coming home after a week there and it didn't look too good a few days ago, but he should be coming home. And uh, that, that practicing those one another passages with each other, not to belabor it, but like no time that I can remember in, in the life of the church, your church, our church, the opportunity to practice the one another passage, love one another, pray for one another, give to one another, encourage one another, all those one another passages, just review those. They're there and they're for us to, to do right now. And the psalmist is saying, help Lord, I need help. And, and it's, that's a tangible way to do it, which leads us to our third and final point. Guga said here, he says, I said, I, I kind of preach shorter than you do, Guga. He says, they're gonna love that. That's what he told me, they're, they're gonna love that, so. So the Lord bless you as we get to our third and final point. And as Google watches this, and I hope he's laughing when I, when I said, resting, resting in steadfast love, verse 88, the third point. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The psalmist now returns again as he has throughout Psalm 119 to the steadfast love of the Lord, that unfailing said love of the Lord, that it's his covenant-keeping love. He returns, that's, that's his anchor, that's bedrock for him is the steadfast love of the Lord, his unfailing love. I, fi I fail, um, I'm often slow to cry out to the Lord and ask for help, just like you probably are. When he returns to the steadfast love of the Lord, something really tangible happens. A changed takes place. He's 
Revived, it says. He's revived. He says, it gives me life. When I go back to the Word of God, I'm revived. I was wilting, he says. I was, I was like a dried out wineskin. I was cracking. I was at the end of myself. And now I'm revived because I went back to your Word. You and I can be refreshed as we rest in the steadfast love of the Lord. And I'm not pretending to say that that's an easy thing to do. Those of you that have been Christians for a long time know that there are seasons when it's easy to rest in the steadfast love of the Lord. And there's other seasons where it's like, Lord, what are you doing? What's happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to our family? Why is this happening to our culture? What's, what's going on? The wheels are falling off. We have to rest in the steadfast love of the Lord. I have to do that. And it's an active resting I don't think it's a just let go and let God. I think it's an active resting where we're rehearsing and meditating on the Word of God. That's what allows me to rest. It's an active resting. Sometimes we think of rest as just, I'm out. I'm, I'm just, I think it's an active resting. And sometimes we need each other to do that, as I said. When I rest in the steadfast love of the Lord, it is life giving. Then I'm able to obey what God's Word says no matter what the enemy or somebody else says about me or us or about our church or about the current situation or about my current circumstances, I'm ready to rest in the Lord and it's life-giving. So that's why I said at the very beginning, understanding and applying the Word of God is critical to withstanding the difficulties and the hardships of life that are, will come to each of us. So I was working on this. It took me back to... Uh, hymn that was written in the late 1800s that speaks of the rewards of trusting in God's word and obeying his will. The hymn was written by a man by the name of John Samus, S-A-M-M-I-S. Dwight Moody was conducting evangelistic services and as is often the case at the end of an evangelistic service, you would have testimony time. Have you ever been to a church where at the end of a service you had testimony time? Some of us have. Testimony time. And the young man rose up and said, I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust and I am going to obey. And Ira Sankey uh, was Dwight Mutie's musical partner and he wrote down that short sentence of testimony and sent it with the story of the testimony time to John Samus who was a, a, a professor at Biola College or Bible Institute of Los Angeles at that point and he wrote the words to these popular, this popular hymn when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, that's what the psalmist is calling us to this morning. He's calling us to walk in the light of his word. Put that word in front of us every day, multiple times a day, multiple formats, audio Bible, reading it, devotion time in the morning, encouraging each other with verses, whatever it might be. Just, we just put the word in front of us. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Rachel, will you come up? We're going to, let me pray, and then we're just going to sing that together as we transition into our communion time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
the privilege of opening your word this morning. We don't take it for granted that we can meet, as was prayed earlier, free of any uh, distraction or free of any uh, harassment. We can meet and we can uh, study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the word of God. Some things are hard to understand. We don't understand smoke and wineskins, but we do understand, help, Lord, help me, help me. These are hard times. I pray a blessing over this congregation, that you would take this congregation, you would, you would multiply their influence in this community. I pray that they would be salt and light in a very dark world. I pray that they'd be able to stand up for righteousness when they're called to do that, and that, that they would encourage each other with the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.